But we want the kids up here first. Don't send them down yet. These are some of my favorite people ever. We'll have to talk about that later. Yeah, that's a good one. How are you doing? How's everybody been this week? Yeah? Does anybody have a prayer that God answered this week for you guys? I know I'd, I'm going to put you on the spot because I didn't give you any new warning. Sometimes we pray and we ask God for stuff. And then we get an answer, and we need to kind of talk about that. Maybe next time. And how about, was there anything you were really thankful for? Um, yeah? What do you got? One with my little brother. Your little brother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I bet. Okay. Not sure what that was, but all right. Well, we're going to do that next time. Okay, you guys be thinking about it this time. Maybe even ask your mom and dad to write it down. If you have something that you want to ask God about and pray about it and then see if he'll answer, and then we can talk about that. And then think about something during the week that you're thankful for or that gave you joy. So I'll share, you, I'll share mine with you. Oh, okay. I watched that when I was three and Brian was four. Okay, yeah. So. Yep. So here's the deal. I had a hard time this year. I had two two people. Yeah, hard time. Two people that I really loved died this year. And one of them was in February, and one of them was in October. And then in the middle of that, we had some real turmoil here at the church. And I had a hard time finding joy. And so I prayed about that. And God gave me some Bible verses, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. But then he also gave me a little buddy to be my best friend. Yeah, I got a buddy. He's... He's not two years old yet. His name is Jackson. Yeah. A buddy. Yeah. So this last Monday, we got to hang out together, and we went to McDonald's and had lunch, and we drove around. We played on the toys. Yeah. You like McDonald's? Oh, it's closed. Yeah, so we went when it was open, and he makes me go up inside and play in the toys thing with him. There's hardly any kids there when we go, usually, so I got to do that. But that gave me a lot of joy. So God answered my prayer and gave me joy at the same time. So that was really great. Okay, so next time, you guys think about it. Think about something that you can pray about, and then have your mom and dad write it down, and then we'll talk about when God answers prayers, because he does. He hears them. When we pray, he hears them. And then it's nice to remember when he answers. So, I asked you guys to come up here, didn't I? And, you, and here you are, right? I called out and said, have all the kids come up. Now, think about this for a second. What if 
you had closed your eyes and stuck your fingers in your ears right before I said that. You think you could have heard me? Close your eyes and put your finger in your ears right now. Okay? Yeah. It would be hard. Now, your ears don't work as good as really good earmuffs or if you just couldn't hear at all. But let's just say you were out there and your eyes were closed, you couldn't see, and your ears were so stopped up with your fingers that you couldn't hear. And I said, kids, come on up. Do you think you'd come? No, no you would, because you wouldn't know, would you? That's what God does. He calls out there, and their call goes out. All of you come to Jesus so that you can be saved and be in heaven with God for all, forever. But until God opens their eyes and takes their fingers out of their ears, they don't come. So we notice that there's a lot of people in, sitting out here that they didn't come, did they? Because I called just you, just you kids. That's what Jesus does. He calls his kids. In order for that call to work, first he has to open their eyes and take their fingers out of their ears so that when he calls, they'll come. That's what today's sermon's about. We'll see you guys downstairs. Thank you for coming up. I love that. I just love that. These guys, they're, they're hopeful little faces just looking up. Um, it, is, it, it is very rewarding to have those guys in our, and every one of us is blessed by those, by those little kids. Just knowing that they're in here and knowing that at their age, God's given them some faith to come, and it's just wonderful. So, what we believe, getting back to basics part four, which is actually the fourth point in our statement of faith. So, number one, I got to tell you, uh, I am, I'm really getting anxious to getting back to preaching straight out of the Word of God. I really am. And we're going to do 1 Timothy when I get done with this. But this has been an interesting exercise. It has been very interesting for me as we go through the statement of faith because I do believe that there's some value in getting back to basics. And I think we've done that. I think, and, and we're going to continue to do that. I'm going to eventually finish this, believe it or not. Um, so, so I think we've had some, some, a good time to get regrounded in what it is, the essence of what it is that brings us together as a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? And so we're going through those basics around those things that unite us together because we believe these things in unison. But then I got to this one, this one point... Um, We believe, and this is point number four, for the salvation of lost and sinful man, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is necessary. That's true. And it absolutely is not really up for debate. If you are any kind of a scholar of the Bible, if you have read the Bible, the Bible is going to tell you that something needed to happen. Something needed to happen done by someone outside you before you could be saved. Calling, 
predestining, we've already talked about that. And then being born again or being regenerated. And that is an act not of yours, but of God's Holy Spirit. However, as I have spoken before, there are some aspects of this that Christians believe differently about. One of them is, how much is me, if any, and how much is God? Is it all God? Is it mostly God and a little bit of me? Or is it 50-50? Or is it mostly me and, and, and God kind of pushes me over the top. It's, I come to God and I, I feel bad about my life and, and, and I want to find God, and, but I know I can't ever totally get there on my own. And so I start the journey towards God and then he sees that and he reaches down. So here's one that's trying to get here and I'll just lift him up to the point where he can go over the wall and finally get there. Okay. There's, there's a truth there. And so what we've been looking at is how does this particular doctrine fit in? How do I answer those questions? How do I come to the conclusion? So you might ask yourself, well, is it necessary that I come to a conclusion? I think so. Uh, uh, so this, this particular one gave me an opportunity to talk about some other things which is why it's taking so long to get through it. But we talked about, I think we can talk about grace. When we have differences of opinion on non-essential doctrines, can we then give the other person grace? Um, but I also think we can talk about, or this, this particular point has led me, I believe, through the Holy Spirit, because I literally do pray, and I know other men pray, that the Holy Spirit will lead this particular time of ours together, so that you're hearing what God wants you to hear, not what I want you to hear. And the Holy Spirit said there's some things about this that have come to me in my mind about discernment, and submission, and teachability that I think are essential for us right now. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. I will try to get through uh, the essence of this. What we are trying to do is looking at this uh, regeneration in context of the entire salvation process. So you can see that maybe those questions, how much of it's me, how much of it's God, uh, and the other question, which is the biggest, when does this happen? Does it happen before I hear the gospel message? Does it happen after I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, then I'm new and I'm born again and God gives me a new heart and a new mind? Or, or, or is it, you know, way before when exactly does this regeneration thing happen? So I was hoping if we go through the entire process of salvation that you'll have an answer that you can live with. But in the meantime, there are some other things we can talk about. And one of them we've already talked about, and that is, okay, when we do have a doctrine that has different versions within Christianity that we just agree to disagree on, do I have grace? Can I, can I just agree to disagree and let's just say, how do I get there? Uh, how, how did I get to my conclusion in the first place? So that was leading me to discernment. How do we know we have God's answer? And am I open to the Holy Spirit 
to change the way I might think about a doctrine now because I've just always thought about it that way. So we're going to discuss that a little bit as well. And I'm sorry, sort of, about being maybe a little redundant. You know, we did go through some of this last time. And we're going to go through the entire salvation process here. Um, And it's going to be election, predestination, which we talked about already. And there were different views regarding this. One of them was through God's sovereignty, people are elected by God. He chooses them before the foundation of the world. And then he calls them, he regenerates them, he causes them to come, and he holds them in his hand. The other main view in Orthodox Christianity is God chooses based on foreknowledge. I see through the quarters of time. I see those who are going to choose me. They are the elect. They are the ones that I ultimately call, and they are the ones that come. But it is a, basically, I, I, I am part of the choosing process. So we've already talked about that. And maybe you have a conclusion about that yourself. And I would say, how did you get there is as important as what you believe in this particular case. What process do I come to to come to a conclusion about anything in the Bible? Christianity really is being saved, right? It is being a follower of Christ. That's true. But it also is something else. It is accepting a way of looking at myself and the world through the lens of Scripture. I gave you some questions. I'm going to give you some again. Basic questions were, you know, what's this all about? Believe it or not, I mean, I was was in the Tri-Cities yesterday, and I have another grandson who's six years old. And literally, he asked me, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> At six years old. <laughs> I don't know where he's getting this, but uh, and I didn't have the chance to tell him. Uh, but, I, but he said, you know what? Nobody knows. And I said, no, I do. I, I'll share that with you. But, but, but we have those questions, all of us. What is the meaning of life? And so I put this down into 12 questions. I'm going to go through them, and then hopefully we can move on again. But I'll say this, the Bible is God's gift to us to answer all of the major questions regarding the details of our reality. Let me say that again. The Bible has the answers to all of the questions regarding the details of our reality, whether we want to believe it or not whether we understand it or not, whether we want it or not. This is not just a relationship with Christ. It is. But it is also now, I live with a biblical worldview. Therefore, I filter everything, how I think, how I'm going to respond, how I behave, through the truth of Scripture. That's what it means to be a Christian. And sometimes I don't know the answers. And sometimes I think I know the answer. But let's talk about that process. So here are the questions. Is there a God? 
Does the Bible definitively answer that one? I think it does. If so, what's he like? What does he like and what does he not like? How was everything created? How did it get broken? How were we created as human beings? How did we get broken? What's God's plan to fix us? What's God's plan to fix everything else? How do we live lives now, right now, that will both glorify and please God and satisfy all the cravings that we have in our soul? What happens after we die? And how does everything play out in the end? See, the thing is, God's Word has the answers to all of those things. And in fact, I was going to do this, but I didn't. I was going to take our statement of faith and give you a quiz. Because I would say, I can take every one of the statements of faith that we have, and it will fit into one of the categories of those questions. So we, we pick some things out and say, we're going to emphasize this. But we literally could say, this is our statement of faith. I believe it's the immutable word of God, and, and it's perfect, and it's infallible. And it, but it's supernatural, too, in that it changes hearts and minds. Okay. So the answers are in there. But sometimes they're not what we expect. Sometimes they're not what we would like them to be. Sometimes they're not what we believe right now. Sometimes it's not something we can prove empirically. Sometimes they don't make sense. Sometimes it's not what we might have already been taught. We talked this morning in Sunday school about this Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, about wives submit to your husbands. Not so much maybe anymore, but when I got married, we had those verses in our vows. And we had some major pushback from people in our family because they thought it was very, very anti-feminist. So you might say, and within Christianity, unfortunately, too, say, you know what, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like a God that I love would make two people and one of them not equal to the other. I'm not going to believe that part. I'm going to believe that God created us all equally, loves us all equally the same, and nobody should have to submit to another person. And the feminist movement creeped into Christianity. And what was going on? Well, that's, that, that's not the God that I think I want to love. Had the same thing happen as we talked about predestination and, and have somebody say, well, I could never love a God who didn't give everybody the same chance to come to salvation. Well, what we generally do is default to a version of the truth that we want that we consider right, that we consider fair, that we consider this is the kind of God that I really want to serve because guess what? He's like me. 
I want him to think like me. I want him to be like me. I want him to be, if I was God, I would give everybody a chance to be saved. Here's the problem, and here's why I think this is discernment and grace and teachability and submission is important. Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, as Paul is describing the process of salvation. Since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child in in God's eyes. As far as his Christian development, he's still a baby. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have had their powers of discernment, powers of discernment trained by constant practice so that they can distinguish good from evil. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For a time is coming when people will no longer endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That day is here. And we see culture pervading Christianity as we compromise the truth of the Bible for a truth that makes us feel more comfortable within our culture. So you say, how does that relate to this thing that we're talking about, um, regeneration? Well, not a lot. But it gave me an opportunity to say, when we have a doctrine that has different viewpoints, how do we handle it? Am I really coming to the Bible wanting to know the truth? Or am I coming to the Bible looking for a God and a truth and a practice and a principle and a doctrine that makes me feel comfortable? Because here's the thing. You and I don't think like God. He says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So most of the time, when we start to impose something that makes us feel feel comfortable into the truth of Scripture, it's going to be wrong. Teachability. Do you really go to Scripture saying, God, I'm broken and I'm sinful And I've studied it a lot, but I need to be open to the Holy Spirit. And I need to be open to those who maybe have been given greater discernment about a particular issue so that I can always be open to knowing the truth. Because there are a lot of ways that we come to believe even these things in the salvation process. I will say as we go through them, you probably have a conclusion already in your head. And I would ask you, how did that conclusion arrive? There should be only one correct answer. By supernatural discernment through the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God. But then you say, how then can we sometimes genuine, authentic Christians who are striving for nothing 
better than having the truth come down on different sides of that? I don't know. I remember once listening to one of my favorite theologians, which I had probably already mentioned to you, R.C. Sproul, and he was being asked, or actually he was, has I shared this with you already? He was debating John MacArthur about infant baptism. So R.C. Sproul is a Presbyterian minister and theologian, and he believed that infant baptism was something that we should do. It was not saving the baby, but it was more like a ritual or a, a consecration ritual as, as the parents would take that baby and then baptize it and say, okay, this is what I think we should do, much like the, the, the principle of circumcision, only this would be for both males and females, and that was something that he believed that the Bible was promoting. When, and John MacArthur was on the other side and saying, no, there's no value in infant baptism. There's, there's, there's nothing that the baby does to be involved in it. Uh, it has no use, and it starts to confuse people what the true meaning of baptism is. Okay, so after the whole thing was done, somebody from the crowd, this was a public debate, asked him, do you believe in knowing he's, I think, was one of the greatest theologians of our age? And they asked him, do you think you could be wrong? And he said, are you kidding Absolutely. I'm a sinful human being that's broken. And there's every reason to believe I could be wrong on a lot of things. But I always keep an open mind. Because all I really want to know is the truth. I'm not saying he's above all of us, but he's pretty smart. And if he says, yes, you know what? I always need to be open to The Holy Spirit may be changing my mind about a particular doctrine. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through these point by point. And I'm going to say, here's the scriptures. We're going to to grab a few scriptures. And then I'm going to say, here are some of the views within the pale of Orthodox Christianity regarding this. Where are you? And I don't want you to tell me. But then I want you to ask yourself, why? Was it because I did a diligent study of Scripture to come up with my view or because that's the one that felt the most comfortable or that's the one that I like the best? Or maybe I have a view that's outside the ones I'm going to be giving you and it's wrong. I mean, it's just literally wrong. This is one of them. I mean, there's, there's people that say there's no such thing as predestination in the Bible. I don't, I'll just reject it out, out, out of hand and I say, well, I'm sorry, people, it's in there. <laughs> if you read the Bible, there is a doctrine of predestination. You cannot get around it. So that's, that's the purpose of this as we go through this doctrine of regeneration. We'll talk about the regeneration, what it means, what it is. Here are the scriptures. Here are the different views within Christianity. Why am I where I'm at? And the reason I'm asking you to do that is so that you will practice discernment. You will practice submission. And when I say submission, I mean once I have discerned what I believe the Scripture is telling me, I am going to submit to its truth no matter what culture says. No matter what other preachers might say. No matter what the world is telling me. Even if my own family members are telling me something different. I am going to submit myself to the truth of Scripture because God's plan is the only one That's going to work. So that's what we're going to do. Hopefully we'll get through this one and move on next Sunday.
So we have calling by God. That was what we talked about this morning with the kids, calling by God. So we have these scriptures. Let me get to them so I can all read them off the screen. Okay, I need that there and there. All right. Regeneration, gifting of faith by God to repent and accept the gospel message. Should be one more. And accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the entire salvation process. It's all in Scripture. I may not have it in the correct order, but every single one of the points happened. You know, and you say, well, I just, I heard the message, I accepted Jesus, I made a decision, I'm saved. True. There are some things going on behind the scenes you may not know about, or you may have heard about them and rejected them. But nonetheless, I'm very, very confident that Scripture backs me up that every single one of these things happened in your life if you are a follower of Christ. Okay. God calls to himself those who are his. So we're going to start here in Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those who are called according to his purpose. Um, And we have that call, and the word is kletos, specifically invited or appointed. God works all things together for good for those who have been specifically invited by God for his purposes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And in those whom he predestined, he also called that same word, call again. Kletos. Those who I appointed or specifically invited. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's called the golden chain. In there, you see there are a number of steps about salvation. Calling is one of them. And and the word being used in the Greek is to specifically select. Or determine. Okay. Then in, we see in 1 Thessalonians 2.12. We exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom in glory. Same word, kletos. Then in, um, no, I'm sorry, that is actually a different word in Thessalonians. It's kaleo. To welcome forward or to call out from. So God says here, I called you, I welcomed you forward and called you out into me. And then here's the one I think maybe the most definitive of all in in John 6.44. And no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me first draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. And so the word here in John is helku'u. To drag or draw forwards as a well going in, or a bucket going into a well and drawing up water. And it says here, Jesus talking, no one can come to me or be a follower of Christ unless first the Father reaches down with the bucket, 
puts it in water in it and draws it up out of the well. Now, there you have some scriptures. You've heard some Greek words. You've heard their meanings. Let me then give you some of the different views regarding calling. God calls to himself all who are his. One view is the general call. That, that the call just goes out and everybody can hear it and everybody can, has been exposed. Probably everyone in the United States or, or, or a large portion of people in the United States have heard about Jesus. So that's the general call. And so it goes out and those who respond get help from the Holy Spirit. Then there's another viewpoint. All are called, but only some will actually hear. So God calls everybody. It's kind of like general revelation. I'm out there, and, 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 and I'm calling, and I want all people to come to salvation. But then only those whom I help out will actually hear and respond. And then there is the more reformed view. It says, nope, I've already determined who are mine in the predestination process. Those are the ones that I call. Those are the ones whose eyes and ears and hearts I open and change, and they come. They're coming. They actually don't even have a choice. When I call them, they're coming. Okay, so maybe you have had a viewpoint. Maybe you've never thought about this one. Where do I stand in that? Where do I fall in those three views? Or do I have a, a totally different view? And I would say, okay. It's, I would love to talk to you about it, and I'm not going to tell you my viewpoint, although you probably could figure it out. But how did you get there? And if, or maybe you haven't thought about it, but you should think about it. And then ask yourself, is my view on this based on the truth of Scripture because I have sought it out? Do I have discernment? Have I really looked for God's truth in Scripture for the, to make the decisions on how I will live my life? God calls. What does that mean? Hmm. What does God's Word say? Well, we heard some things from God's Word regarding being called. Hopefully your viewpoint lines up with those verses. If not, hopefully you're teachable and your viewpoint can be changed. Yeah, I bring this up, and I know this is going to be obvious, and it gets beaten to death in our culture today within Christianity. But here we are in a culture that says sexuality and identity is fluid. And we see churches embracing the homosexual lifestyle. And we have people that say, who say they're Christians, how could God ever create someone a certain way and then condemn him for it. Certainly, the Bible must be wrong. Same thing with sexuality. There's a sexual relationship that is outlined in Scripture. It's very narrow. And we think, well, we're more enlightened now. I'm not sure that that wasn't just some sort of cultural thing back then. Let's revise this part of it 
because it doesn't really match up with our lives today. Or identity fluidity. You know, we, we, we know more. Science is telling us more. We should be able to decide who we are. And we see those things permeating churches across America. How does it happen? Because people don't have discernment. They haven't done what it said there in the scriptures that I first read you to go to scripture and practice it so that I know the difference between good and evil. So this is not necessarily which viewpoint I have about being called. That's not necessarily going to determine your salvation or determine good from evil, but it is an exercise to understand how do I practice discernment when it comes on understanding what the Word of God really is telling me. Because then I have to apply those principles to my everyday life and actually live by them and make decisions based on that. I'm really, what did I do? I don't know. I don't know how I got here. Because <laughs> the next one should be uh, regeneration. <laughs> this is a dangerous item in the hands of Tim Henley. This I can tell you right now. <laughs> okay. So, back one. In order to be, accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, this is the actual point. This is the third step in the, in the process of uh, being saved, regeneration and born again. So here are the scriptures. We'll try to get through this so we can definitely move on. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's John 3, 3. Born again. Regenerated. I need to be born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are first born again. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26. And then in Titus 3, 4 through 7. Very definitive. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He saved us not because of works of righteousness done by us, but according to his own mercy and through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So, in order for a sinner to accept Jesus Christ as Savior, he must be born again. Those are the scriptures that you've seen. They aren't all the scriptures but they are the main scriptures regarding regeneration. Here are some different views. We are born again when we accept Christ. We are born again through the sanctification process, meaning I accepted Christ, and then he's going to get me through being born again. He's going to make me new again as I'm being transformed. Wrong. That's wrong. That, that's not one that fits within the truth of Scripture. 
I'm born again before I can have faith or believe. And then I'm born again and get the faith simultaneously. So I'm born again, and then God right then gives me the faith to believe in him, and I, be, I, and I accept Jesus and I become a follower of Christ. Okay. The other one says, nope, I'm born again, and in time, then my eyes are open, and in time I receive the message of the gospel, and God gives me the faith to believe it, and I come to faith in Christ, and I accept him as Lord and Savior, and I'm saved. Okay. Three of the four views that I gave you fit within Christianity, and Christians have different views. Do you have a view? We're not going to be able to get through the other two today. So I'm going to ask you, have you thought about it, and does it really matter? In the end, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. Does it matter whether you understood correctly when you were born again? Probably not the timing. But the other question I asked is, how much of it is you, and how much of it is God? That one is very important, I believe, in the, in the entire canon of Scripture. I think we need to understand. If we go back to where we started, which was, where was man to begin with? That was one of the first points, right? The first point I made is, this is the condition of man, total depravity. No one was looking for God. No one was seeking after him. Nobody wanted God in their life. Left to themselves, left to ourselves, not a single person would come to salvation. That is what the Bible says. That irritates a lot of us. That irritates a lot of non-Christians, and it irritates a lot of Christians, because it violates our sense of what we think is fair. Why doesn't everybody have a chance? So if we try to take credit for any aspect of our salvation, it says right there, I had nothing to do with being born again. You didn't have anything to do with being born the first time. You didn't have anything to do with being born again the second time. No act of righteousness on my part went into this. It was totally God in his mercy opening my eyes, unstopping my ears, and changing my heart that allowed me to have the faith when I heard the message to accept Jesus. I think it happens before you hear the message. I, don't, I think the faith comes after the regeneration. But clearly, it is all God. So those views of, well, some of it is me, and I was sick, and I was pretty sick, but I had just enough left to crawl out of my sick bed and seek the cure. That takes away the sacrifice that Jesus played, paid to pay for your salvation. When you want to attach some sort of work of your own to the salvation process, you denigrate what God did for you. If, if someone gave you a check for $10 million, and you went around telling all your friends, yeah, I got this check, but man, here's the deal. I was so good, I was so good, he had to give it to me. And I take away from the grace and the love and the mercy of God when I try to take credit for my salvation. 
So when we look at this thing, being born again, yeah, it's part of the process, and maybe I don't need to totally understand it to be saved, and you don't. But once again, discernment. What does Scripture say about when it happened? What does Scripture say about who was involved, and was it me, or was it God? Those things are in there. And that should give you confidence as you discern God's word so that you can put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Because none of these questions are all right in one spot. You know, it would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? If God just said, here, Tim, I'm going to give you, this is how everything happened. This is how you're saved. This is the process that happened when you were saved. This is exactly what's going to happen when you die. This is precisely what heaven looks like. And this is how it's all going to work out. He doesn't do that. I might ask him that, but, but I think I have somewhat of an answer. He wants us to work for it a little bit. Because I think if he just gives us all the answers straight out, then we take them for granted or we ignore them. Because as human beings, that's what we do. And so God says, I'm going to give you the truth. But you're going to need to mine for it like a gold miner. You're going to need to start studying it and putting the truth together because I'm going to give you pieces of it here and there. And it will coalesce together as this entire plan that I had before you were formed for how everything is going to work out. But I'm going to make you work a little bit to find it. I remember that, and I probably shared this with you. I'm pretty sure I did. Um, And once again, I didn't want to just keep throwing Ron's name out there. But when I came with this really massive question about I'm trying to, to decide between the Arminian view and the Reformed view and predestination. How did it all work? Ron knew what the Bible said. And he said, well, do this, do this, read this, read this, read this, read this, come back and you tell me. As I told you, the process was more valuable than the conclusion. And I think God understands that in us as well. There's a process here of coming to know the truth of Scripture and then submitting to its truth and applying it to your life. And if you don't go through that process and I just tell you everything, you're not going to do it. Be studiers of the Word. Question everything like the Bereans. Question everything I say. Question everything you hear on the radio and on TV. Question everything that culture is telling you because chances are, unless they're really studying the Word of God, it's going to be wrong. And we're very, very susceptible to embrace that which makes us feel comfortable. And most of the time, Scripture is not. It's not intuitive. It's against the way you were wired, hardwired as a pagan. And sometimes... It doesn't seem right. But we nonetheless, we seek the truth, and then we submit to it and apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, we are so prone to wander, and we're so susceptible to lies because we're human, and we're broken still. In some aspect of ourselves, we're still broken. And so, Lord, give us discernment. Help us to strive to seek the truth of Scripture and then apply it once we've found it. And even if we tend to disagree on some minor points, Lord, help us to have grace in that, to love one another and agree to disagree, but, but to be diligent in searching the Scriptures to find the truth. The messages and the lies that are out there are so prevalent now, Father. And even a small little deception can lead us down the wrong road. We need your Spirit 
to give us discernment in this very troubling time in which we live so that we don't go off the pathway which leads to salvation, but also the pathway that leads to a life lived that glorifies you and satisfies all of our needs. Lord, I just pray you give us that hunger for the truth and discernment and and the ability to submit to the truth when we find it. I ask this sincerely in your son's name. Amen.